in the book of John, chapter 8 today, beginning in verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, and everybody say continue, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I want to read the same portion of scripture in the amplified version of the Bible. It says, so Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word continually, can you say continually, obeying my teachings and living in accordance with them, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth regarding salvation and the truth will set you free from the penalty of sin. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be set free? Jesus answered, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, everyone who practices sin habitually is a slave of sin. Now the slave does not remain in a household forever. The son of the master does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, then you are unquestionably free. And I'd like to speak today on the topic of breaking the cycle. Breaking the cycle. Can you close your eyes and lift your hands and pray for the word of God in this place today? Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for this time we have set aside to be together, God, and to study your word and learn from you, Lord. I pray your word would go forth and it would fall on good ground, Jesus. Prepare every heart, prepare every mind, Lord. Remove the blindness of mind that would keep us from understanding your word today, God. And Lord, any spirit that would resist the moving of your spirit in this house, whether human or demonic, I bind it now by the authority of the word of God and the power of Jesus' name. I release your angels in this house. In the name of Jesus, Jesus' name, amen. So the word cycle can be defined as both a noun and a verb. As a noun, it is a series of events that are regularly repeated in the same order. As a verb, it is to move in or follow a regularly repeated sequence of events. So in the scriptures that we read today, Jesus said that you must continue in his word or continually obey his teachings and live in accordance with them. And this is the cycle that we want to be constantly running in our lives. We want to just keep continuing in the word and the promises of God and to line our lives up to the pattern of his word that it lays out for us. But the problem is we're human. We have flesh to deal with. And we live in a very sinful world. We have the world to deal with. And we have an adversary after us. And all these things can cause us to become trapped in a cycle 
that God did not intend us to be trapped in. Remember that Jesus said, anyone that commits sin is a slave to sin. We become enslaved to a cycle of sin or a pattern that just regularly repeats itself over and over in our life. Just keeps going over and over and over. And this pattern does not just affect you. It doesn't just keep going over and over for you. It affects your children. And it can even affect generations. So whatever cycle you may be in, there's a good chance that your kids and maybe even your grandkids will follow in the same path. Now, I don't believe in generational curses. I don't believe Satan has the power to put a curse on an entire family that causes them to live sinful lives. For one thing, that gives him way too much credit and way too much power. Because I believe if one person in a family decides, I don't want to live this way, they absolutely do not have to live that way. And it only takes one person, by the way. So when you see entire families that are broken by sin, I don't believe there's a generational curse going on. I do know, though, that there are cycles going on that have been not been broken and have just been picked up, usually unconsciously, by the next generation and then by the next generation. So if you've been around me for any length of time, I've been saying this phrase, breaking the cycle of dysfunction in Watertown. Dysfunction is a deviation from the normal social behavior in a way that is regarded as bad. So if something's dysfunctional, it's not working properly. Anything that strays away from the laws of God and the order of God is dysfunctional. God has set up specific orders for marriage, for family, for men, for women, for children. And as an individual and as a church, it is our job to find out what they are and to teach them diligently. So I've been sounding like a broken record, breaking the cycle of dysfunction in Watertown. Breaking the cycle of dysfunction in Watertown. But it's been my marching orders for the last couple years, and I just want to tell you how it came to me. Um, it was last year, shortly after our 40 days of consecration, a couple days after we had closed up, so it was about February last year. I had a lady over at my house, and we were just talking, and she just began to open up to me and share parts of her life, parts of her childhood, and just pour herself out to me, and it was just dysfunction. It was just, it was terrible. It was awful. It was um, such brokenness that she was raised in, and it just broke my heart. And I said to her, you know, if there's anything that I can do or that our church can do to help you, I want to help you. I want to break the cycle of dysfunction in Watertown. And as soon as I said that, the Holy Ghost went off in my mind, and it said, that is your purpose. That is your calling. Because through this whole 40 days of prayer and fasting, I've been praying for more direction. Like, I, I know I'm a pastor's wife. I'm here to raise my children. I'm here to be a pastor's wife. I'm here to help my husband. But I was praying, God, I just want a little more spe specific direction for my life. And um, that phrase, when that phrase came to me, the Holy Ghost just said, that's it. That's it. And um, so I took it to prayer, 
and sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> I took it to prayer, and I was pr- praying about that, and the rest of this phrase just came to me. And it, it was equipping people to live holy, healthy, functional lives. Now, that's the job of a true disciple. Not just to lead someone to salvation, but to then equip them to live holy, healthy, functional life. So then the cycle of disciple-making can continue. And so as soon as this phrase had come to me, it brought so much purpose to every prayer that I pray and to every Bible study that I teach and everything that I teach my children. It just comes right out of this. I'm, I want to break the cycle of dysfunction in Watertown. I want to equip people to live holy, healthy, functional lives. And um, I just want to say that God has strategically located this church And God did not put us in the middle of the dysfunction of this city for us to be discouraged, frustrated, or overwhelmed. Because it's very easy to be discouraged, frustrated, and overwhelmed when you look at what's going on around. But he put us in the middle of the dysfunction of the city because he's going to use this church to break that cycle. And I believe that. If you believe that, can you clap your hands? Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Jesus. So I want to talk about four cycles to break. The first one is the cycle of addiction, specifically alcohol, drugs, nicotine. Kids raised in an environment with addiction really do think that it is normal until they are exposed to other families who do not have this going on they think that is the normal way of, to live. Um, but there is no chain that Jesus cannot break. And I just want to speak to the spirit of addiction that seems to be rampant in Watertown. And I want to say that there's no addiction that is more powerful than the name of Jesus. There is no drug that is more powerful than the name of Jesus. There is no one that is too far gone. And there is no one without hope. Do not underestimate the power of the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is greater. It's greater. My dad was addicted to drugs. He grew up as a teenager in the 70s. And I asked him, you know, was there a specific drug that you were addicted to? And he said, no, it was whatever was available in large quantities. And he listed off probably seven or eight different drugs that he did. And um, alcohol, addicted to alcohol. My mother was addicted to cigarettes. If you've been to this church for a while, you know Brother Doug. And you've heard his testimony. He was addicted to marijuana to the point that he could not even take care of his own children. My mother and father-in-law were addicted to cocaine, marijuana, and alcohol. And I bet there's a lot of people in this room that could raise their hands and say, I've been set free from an addiction What a difference in the people of God and the name of Jesus. My father is not addicted to drugs anymore. My mother is not addicted to cigarettes. Brother Doug has been set free. My mother and father-in-law have been set free. And people in this room have been set free from addictions. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What made the difference in these people? Well, the name of Jesus. And desperation. You have to become sick of where you are at 
in order to go somewhere else. As long as you have other options, you're going to keep going to those options. But when everything is stripped away, there's a desperation that comes over you. If you really want to be free, you can be free. If you really want change, you can have change. And there's no devil in hell that can stop you. The key is need and brokenness. Those are two things that God cannot stay away from. He is attracted to need and he is attracted to brokenness. As long as you think you got things under control and you can handle it, he will let you. But as soon as you realize things are out of control and you need help, that's when he steps in and turns things around. Don't be so quick to despise brokenness in your life. If that's what makes God come running to you. Now, just like there's a first person who starts the cycle of addiction, you can be the first person to stop it. It only takes one person and desperation. There's another cycle of unproductive thinking that needs broken. Our thinking is so very important because thinking regulates action. It also regulates what you speak. And there is power in the spoken word. God set it up that way. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And so unproductive thinking results in unproductive speaking. And so in order for us to speak life, as the Bible says, we have to be able to think life. I'm going to read in the book of James, chapter 3, and verse 1 through 6. It says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, th- which though they be so great and are driven in fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So the tongue among our members, that it defiles the whole body, and sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. That last verse, where it says course of nature. That word course means a wheel or circuit of physical effects, or a cycle. And nature can be translated into generation. A cycle of generations. Let me read the last two verses in the Amplified Version. In the same sense, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See by comparison how great a forest is set on fire by a small spark. And the tongue is, in a sense, a fire, the very world of injustice and unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members at that which contaminates the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, the cycle of man's existence, and is set itself set on fire by hell. Your speech and your words have way more power than you think they do. And the way you get your speech and your words is by how you think. 
I want to read a few quotes from a book on the study of a mind that I, the study of the mind that I read, how your thinking affects you. Disbelief is a negative power. When the mind disbelieves or doubts, the mind attracts reasons to support the disbelief. Doubt, disbelief, and the subconscious will to fail. The not really wanting to succeed is responsible for most failures. And this works in the positive, too. When you believe something's impossible, your mind goes to work for you to prove why it can't be done. But when you believe, really believe, something can, can be done, your mind goes to work for you and helps you find ways to do it. This is scientifically proven. We need to cure ourselves of excuse titus, the failure disease. The person who has gone nowhere and has no plans for getting anywhere always has a book full of reasons to explain why. Persons with mediocre accomplishments are quick to explain why they haven't, why they don't, why they can't, and why they aren't. But study the lives of successful people, and you'll discover this. All the excuses made by the mediocre fellow could be made, but are not made, by the successful person. In other words, the right attitude and one arm will beat the wrong attitude and two arms every time. So before you can speak life to your children, to your spouse, to yourself, you have to think life. And there's a great portion of scripture on our thinking in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, um, verse 3 through 5, For though we walk in the flesh as mortal men, we are not carrying on our spiritual warfare according to the flesh and using the weapons of man. The weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. So those things are called fortresses or strongholds is another name for them. And if we don't daily pull those things down, they will mess us up. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think of the word stronghold, I kind of picture like this dark castle wall and with like snakes slithering around or something evil like that. But the definition of a stronghold is just any area of your life that God is not king. It's putting your way ahead of God. And that's called simply idolatry. Here's some thoughts that are unproductive, not from God, and need pulled down. Anything that says, I can't. God doesn't love me. If he really loved me, then why am I in this mess? Any thought that blames God for the negative things in your life, sickness, disease, sin, and dysfunction are all a result of the devil's influence in this world. Now, God can take those things and turn them and make them serve his purpose, but he is not the source of them. Any thought that says, I'm without hope, I'm too far gone, God can't help me, it's too hard, why even bother trying? Any thought that says, it works for other people, 
but it's not going to work for me. Or I'll never be as spiritual as so-and-so, so I'll never pray like him. I'll never worship like her. Why do I even bother? Of all the people in the world, how can God really care about me? So do you see what all these thoughts are doing? They are raising the problem. They're raising you. They're raising your feelings higher than God. And that's a stronghold. And that's idolatry. You think your situation is too much for God? You think you're too far gone for the Almighty One? You think he can heal blind eyes and raise the dead, but he can't deliver you from whatever you're going through? Pull those thoughts down. Send them back where they came from, from hell. They are lies from the devil. Start thinking about truth, and the truth will make you free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. No one is too far gone. I don't care what voice you hear in your head. No one is too far gone. The way to combat negative thoughts is with the word of God. You need to write down every lie that you hear and then write down a truth of God that combats it. Memorize it. Post it around your house, whatever you got to do. Because when you change your thinking, your speaking will change. And you will stop speaking dysfunctional cycles into your life and into the lives of your family. Now, it's hard work. It takes effort. Believe me, I've had some painful prayer meetings on my face before God, letting him rip stuff out of my life that I clung to that wasn't working, changing my unproductive thinking, breaking every misconception and unclear perception in my mind. I tell you this from experience. Sometimes my flesh does not want to pray things, but I know I have to pray them. I I pray them with clenched fists. I pray them with a scrunched up face because my flesh is like, don't do it. Don't say that. Don't give God everything. But it, it has to be done. Pray this, God, expose every misconception and limiting belief in my mind and give me clear perception of who you are And who I am. And then begin to let God define you and not anything or anyone else. Another cycle that needs broken is the cycle of tradition. And not of truth. Remember, it's the truth that makes you free. The word of God can sometimes sound insensitive. Because it cares more about your soul than it does your feelings. And it sounds insensitive to say no matter what tradition has been handed down to you, no matter how sacred it may be to you, if it is not found in the word of God, it's a cycle that needs to stop turning in your life. Any other form of baptism that does not take place after repentance with immersion in water, and with the name of Jesus spoken over you, is tradition and not truth. Because Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And I just want to say that Jesus is God, and there is no other God beside him, and he is the one true almighty God. He is the way the truth, and the life. 
and we can insert the word only. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There are not multiple ways. There are not multiple truths. And the only life you will experience is in Jesus. The reason we continue in these traditions is because it's a comfortable routine. Because that's what our parents did. That's what their parents did before them and so on. It's a cycle that has been built. And I personally have been witness to several people, so many people, who recognize this in Scripture. That Jesus is the only saving name. And that baptism is in that name. But they chose not to obey it. Simply because it's not what their parents did. And it's not what their grandparents did. And they chose their tradition over the truth that could make them free. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees in verse 8. It says, You disregard and neglect the commandment of God and cling faithfully to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside and nullifying the commandment of God in order to keep your man-made traditions and regulations. And then down to verse 13. So you nullify the authority of the word of God, acting as if it did not apply because of your tradition, which you have handed down through the elders. And you do many things such as that. That is a cycle of dysfunction. The last cycle I want to talk about is a cycle of apathy, indifference, and passivity. And it can so easily, so easily take root. And I feel that it's especially easy in South Dakota. And it needs to be broken. When we get so far in God, and then we stop, and become satisfied to get a few of the old cycles out of the way, but then we don't replace them with new cycles. And the problem is the old ones will return unless you replace them with new ones. The word apathy means lack of feeling, emotion, or interest. The word indifference means unconcerned, no particular interest, mediocre. And the word passiveness means accepting or allowing what happens without active response or resistance. So if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards because there is no neutral position. You're either pushing toward the kingdom of God or you're pushing against it. I repeat, there is no neutral in the kingdom of God. You're not moving affects the atmosphere. If you know the next step and you're not taking it, You are setting up a barrier in your life that will affect the next generation. If you stop actively pursuing God, you open the door for sin to enter. In Genesis, God says to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why do you look so annoyed? If you do well, believe me, do what's acceptable and pleasing to me. Will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, but ignore my instruction. Sin crouches at your door. Its desire is for you to overpower you, but you must master it. We must keep moving. 
because there's an enemy crouching at the door of your heart that desires to overpower you. Do not stop. Do not stand still. Keep fighting. This is not a vacation. This is a war. The kingdom of God is a war. Cain was ignoring God's instructions. Now, I can say this because I have the microphone. But uh, your pastor is the man of God for the city and for you. And when he speaks, I, can, I know for, well, because I live with him. It's not some cute sermon that he pulled off a line or something that some suggestion he thought he'd give you so you can make it through the week. It's birthed in prayer, hours, hours of prayer, hours of reading the Bible, hours of seeking God's direction for this city and for these people. And when he steps to this pulpit, don't ignore God's instructions. Don't become indifferent towards them. Don't sit in neutral. Do what the pastor says. Do what the word of God says. The Bible says in Matthew 11, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The violent, forceful, aggressive Diligent people take it. The passive people don't take it. The apathetic people don't take it. And the indifferent people don't take it. Because it's not just going to fall on you. It says you've got to use some force. They take it by force. What did Brother Stone King say over and over and over when he was here? Make it happen. Paul says, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus in Philippians chapter 3. He's pressing. It's movement. He's fighting. He's pursuing. And I come against any lie that says, if you give everything to God, if you surrender everything to God, your life's going to be boring. You're never going to have fun. It's not going to be enjoyable. That is a lie to keep you distracted. There is no joy like the joy that God gives. And there is no life like giving your all to him. There's no adventure and excitement like following Jesus. Yes, thank you, Jesus. This world has nothing to offer except superficial feelings that only last a few fleeting moments, but don't produce lasting peace and joy. And I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol and partying. I'm talking about entertaining our flesh so much that it's so full, it does not hunger after God. There needs to be a hunger and a thirst that overwhelms us and says, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. You want to know what's exciting? You want to know what's fun? Walking into a city or a school or a workplace that has no truth and carving out a work, and seeing God move in miraculous ways. Being the same as everybody else, that's not fun or exciting. That's what this world wants you to do. Copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. But if you want to live an exciting life, why don't you be courageous and step out and say, no, I'm not like everybody else. I'm apostolic. I'm apostolic.
Yes. There is no life like living for Jesus. You want to know what's fun? Praying crazy radical prayers and seeing them come to pass. That's exciting. So any voice that tells you you're going to be boring, you're not going to have any fun, that's a lie. Trying to keep you distracted. Now don't worry, this isn't just one big negative sermon. If we can set up cycles that work against us, we can also set up positive cycles that work for us. Actually, anything negative is usually just Satan taking God's positive laws, God's positive cycles, God's positive things that he's set up, and totally just turning them around to make things hard for us. Now, we set up positive cycles that will work for us and bless the generations that follow us. We can set up a cycle of prayer. You should pray daily by yourself, and you should pray daily with your family. And let your children hear you pray and teach them how to pray. Heaven, heaven comes down in your home when you talk to Jesus every day. And I guarantee you people will feel it when they walk in the door. Set up a cycle of the word of God. May your home be filled with his word. May your children be well acquainted with what it says. If you instill the word of God in their hearts, It will never leave them, no matter where they go or what they do. The more you fill your mind and your home with the Word of God, the more your thinking will change, and then your behaviors will change. Instead of a cycle of worship, I've said many times that if you know how to pray and you know how to worship, there is nothing that you cannot get through. Worship relieves stress and anxiety, especially worshiping when you don't feel like it. It is a psychological fact, and I've experienced it myself so many times, you cannot convince me otherwise. Learn how to worship God because of who he is, not based on how you feel. When you worship based on how you feel, rather than how amazing God is, There we are putting ourselves up above God again and exalting our feelings instead of his name. Keep the cycle going and teach your children how to worship. May they learn how to worship from your example and not others in the church. I'm glad they have others in the church to encourage them to worship, but I hope that your kids can see the parents worshiping and model their worship after yours. When we teach our kids to worship, look at what can happen. In book of Psalms, chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So why does the devil get to have all the strongholds? Why don't you build some of your own strongholds? Build a stronghold of prayer. Say, Just build it real strong. Look, Satan, you're not coming past this wall. Build a stronghold of the word in your mind that he cannot penetrate with his lies. Build a stronghold of praise and worship. And when our kids praise, God establishes strongholds against the enemy. And what does it do? 
It silences the avenger, Satan. Anybody want to silence him? Anybody want to tell him to shut up? Anybody sick of hearing the lies in your mind? Then let the praisers arise. Let the praisers arise. Let the praisers arise. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, God. Silence the avenger, God. Silence the foe, God. Set up a stronghold of praise in this church that he cannot get past. In Jesus' name I pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Your praise silences the avenger. Remember that. I close with a story. During the Great Depression of the 30s, there was a rural American family with four children. And they thought they were finished raising children, but as sometimes happens, another boy was born to them that was not expected when they were older. Times were tough back then. They didn't have much. And since he was so much younger than his siblings, he spent a lot of time just roaming around outside with his dog. He went to school till about the sixth grade. And then there was no law that said you had to keep going to school, and he didn't want to go to school anymore. When he was 17, he lied about his age, joined the Army. During this time, the Korean War broke out, and he was enlisted and sent overseas. He was in the front lines of battle several times and endured things that no one should have to endure or see, much less a teenage boy pretending to be older than he really was. As a teenager, he began drinking here and there just for the fun of it, and then this continued while he was in the Army. When he returned home, he married a 16-year-old girl, and they began a family. The girl he married came from a very dysfunctional home. Her father was an alcoholic and very abusive to her mother. This is the cycle that she brought into the marriage, and it ended up repeating itself for her. They had seven children together, and by this time, the man was a full-blown alcoholic. He was unfaithful in his marriage. He was both both verbally and physically abusive to his family. Both husband and wife were addicted to nicotine heavily. Their older children had also started drinking and trying drugs. It was a dysfunctional mess. Their marriage was just about to the breaking point as she was preparing to leave. But then someone told them about Jesus. Oh, sure, they went to church. They were Christians. They had the traditions passed down from their family, but they didn't have Jesus. And they came to a little Pentecostal church. God completely revolutionized their family. He put their marriage back together. He did miracles in their children. They were delivered from nicotine. They were baptized in Jesus' name. However, after even after being in the church for quite a while, and even after being baptized, this man continued to drink. 
he could not seem to break that cycle off of his life. He tried to hide it because he was so embarrassed that he could not get control of this. But his wife and children knew what was going on. One day they were having to revival services at church. And um, his wife and daughter confronted him about it. They said, we know that you're drinking. And he said, I'm fighting a terrible battle, but I'm going to win. And that next night at church, there was a message in tongues that went forth. And God spoke and said, there is someone here who needs deliverance. And if you will just step out from where you are, you will be delivered. And this man immediately stepped to the front of the church, and God instantaneously delivered him from so many years of alcoholism. And he has never drank a drop of alcohol since that day. This man was my grandfather. There was a cycle of dysfunction going on in my family for many generations. But I'm so glad Jesus intervened. At their moment of desperation, he stepped in and broke the cycle. But what if he would have stopped coming because he wasn't delivered right away? What if he would have said, it's hopeless? What's the point of trying? I'll always be an alcoholic. What if he would have been too prideful to step out at that service and admit that he still needed deliverance? There's a good chance I wouldn't be here today. And Pastor Jared wouldn't be here today. And I know some of you have similar stories. Now, I know my grandparents, they didn't get everything right. They still had to deal with all the consequences of their previous lifestyle. And they still had a lot of dysfunction to deal with. But you know what they did do? They set the cycle turning in the right direction. Because they were saved, my mother was saved. Because my mother was saved... I got to be raised in a healthy, godly environment. And now, because I was raised in that environment, I get to raise my children to know the power of God. And it just keeps going. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Three generations later, their family is free from alcohol addiction and brokenness and it only takes one person to break it it only takes one to begin the cycle of godliness and holiness can it be you it's not too late even if your kids are grown it's not too late god still has a work for you to do there are generations of children in this city that can use your involvement that can use your influence there's still generations in this city that need the cycle broken and you can impact them and he wants to set you free today so you can impact the upcoming generations in your family and in this city i believe there's a spirit of deliverance in this place today and if you are here and you want to be delivered and you want to be set free and you want to set the cycle going in the right direction for your family i ask you to step out and come to this altar right now 
Push away pride. Nobody cares in this place. We're here to help you. We're here to love you. We're here to encourage you. There's a spirit of deliverance in this house today. God wants to set you free from the things that go in your mind. God wants to set you free from addictions of substance abuse and alcohol and drugs and tradition. And God wants to set a new cycle in your life going that will impact your children, that will impact your grandchildren, and that will just keep going and keep going and keep going. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I worship you right now, God. Set us free today, God. We need you, Jesus.